Well, once again, I'm going to take another week of break here from our study in John. Just to uh, address something that's really heavy on my mind and heart has been for a few months. And that is the sufficiency of Scripture. So take your Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Sort of providential that uh, we're looking at this text. And with the Gideon's presentation this morning and then the Reformation study and Sunday school, all of that coming together just to reinforce uh, this truth, this teaching. Second Peter chapter 1. You know, if I were to ask you this morning, if you believed in the sufficiency of Scripture, that it is completely sufficient for all matters of faith and practice, I expect that most, if not all of you, would say, yes, I do. (laughs) And you're right, you should. Now, does this mean that you turn to the Bible, let's say, for medical and mechanical work, or let's say, Uh, mathematics, so on and so forth? No. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, we're not going to look up a chapter and verse that says, okay, this is how you change the oil in your car. No. But if any of those fields of work or science contradicts what the Bible teaches in what to believe or how to behave, then you are to follow the Scriptures. Yes, the Bible. This is because it is the ultimate source of truth. Everything else is suspect, but not the Word of God. Never is, never was, never will be. Well, Peter spoke to some of this in verses 16 to 21 of Second Peter chapter 1. And so I want you to follow with me as I read that passage, but our focus is going to be on verses 19 to 21. It says there this, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And may God add His blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. This passage is indeed connected to the previous paragraph. That would be verses 11 through 15 by that little connecting article 4 there that begins verse 16. And in verses 12 to 15 there, Peter was talking about reminding God's people of important truths, including the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is mentioned there in verse 16. And so he went on in the rest of this chapter to affirm this truth, that is the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, by two testimonials. 
The first one was his experience, his eyewitness and earwitness experience of Christ's majesty. We see that there in verses 16 to 18. He's talking there about the transfiguration that he had the privilege of observing. And then there's another testimonial that he refers to there in verses 19 to 21, and that is the objective truth of the prophetic word. Now, of these two testimonials, even the Apostle Peter declared that the prophetic word was, is more significant. It trumps experience. That's what he's saying here. Let me give you a very simple illustration. Back in 2006, there was a book written and published by Protestant Christian Bill Wise. A book entitled 23 Minutes in Hell. Some of you are familiar with that. The book recounts what the author claims were his experiences in hell in 1998. He said his visits to hell were out-of-body experiences that were also visions. Wise stated that he had been a Christian since 1970, but had never studied hell before. According to the book, Wise then, a real estate broker, found himself in a cell approximately 15 feet high and 10 feet by 15 feet wide in area, where there were two foul-smelling beasts, personifications of evil and terror, who spoke in a blasphemous language. Wise said that the creatures had strength approximately 1,000 times greater than man's strength. Wise stated that he had heard the screams of the billions of damned people in hell. He stated that he then encountered Jesus, who told him to tell other people that hell is real. Wise stated that his first experience ended with him lying on the floor of his living room, screaming in horror. Now, what are we to be thinking about as you hear this? You might say, well, he believes in hell, and so do I, so I guess everything's okay. Really? You know, hearing just this little bit of account, and if you were to take the book and read it and compare it to what the Bible has to say, I would imagine you would find a number of contradictions. In fact, probably what you would see is other things mentioned that the Scriptures don't even talk about with regard to hell. I think it's insightful what the Lord Jesus shared in Luke 16. If you want to take your Bibles there, Luke 16. In Luke 16, you have the account of the rich man and Lazarus who both died. One went to paradise, the other one went to Hades. It said that this is a parable. I'm not for sure, but it doesn't matter. What is stated here, as Jesus recounts it, is true. And we come in the middle of a context here, In Luke 16, beginning with verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he, that speaking of the rich man, said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him, that is, Lazarus, to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers in order that they may well not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. (laughs) And notice what it says there in verse 31. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead and tells them about it. So you see there the emphasis upon the word of God over experience. Here's another example. Climate closely rated to 23 minutes in hell was the book 90 Minutes in Heaven. This came from a Baptist minister, by the way, who was in his car traveling and he was hit by a semi-truck. And when the EMTs arrived... They pronounced him dead. He was laying out on the ground, covered, while the other men were working on the accident and everything else. And then 90 minutes later, he wakes up, saying that I had been to heaven and back. And I talked with family, and specifically my grandmother. Oh, it was so good to hear from her. And I heard a heavenly choir Now again, you might say, well, he believes in heaven. So do I. In fact, pastor, if you were to turn to 2 Corinthians (laughs) chapter 12, what you'll find there is that the apostle Paul went to the third heaven. He experienced that. And then you stop right there without reading the rest of the scriptures. What does it go on to say? Paul says, You know, I went to the third heaven. I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. I can't even tell you about it. I can't even express it with my own tongue. And beyond that, he went on to say that to keep me from boasting about my experience, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. You know, I'm answering each of those experiences with what the Bible already has to say concerning that. And so, beloved, you are or will be tested in regards to the sufficiency of Scripture. Because we live in this world. It's a fallen world. It's opposed to God. Has its mysticism, its philosophies, its psychology. It's all around us. You, so you must be careful. And what Peter said here in verses 19 to 21 should encourage and help you. It should. So I want you to consider with me this morning three simple reasons. Three simple reasons why the prophecy of Scripture should be trusted above all else. So that you might stand firm. So that I might stand firm and walk straight the way God desires. And the first reason I want to focus on is actually seen there in verses 20 through 21. I want to begin there because it says right at the first part of the verse. But know this first of all. Or knowing this first of all. And what did Peter go on to say? 
that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. What is this talking about? Well, the Scriptures are to be trusted because they are inspired. The Scriptures are to be trusted because they are inspired. We read this earlier today from 2 Timothy 3 and and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What I'm referring to here is the Scripture's source or origin. They were breathed out by God through men He had chosen. And this is essentially what Peter stated through three phrases there in 20 and 21. First of all, he said, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now this is not referring to understanding Scripture, okay? It's about the fact that Scriptures did not come by man's own ideas. The unloosing of man's own ideas. That's what's stated there. And then the second phrase is sort of a restatement of what he meant in the previous one. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. That is, it didn't come by man's determination. And finally, the apostle said, But, on the contrary, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. They wrote and spoke as they were carried along by God's Spirit. The picture here is of a ship moving across the water by the wind in its sails. Now, I have to admit that all of this is a mystery. It's not the concept. I understand that, so do you. But the mystery is how that came about. I mean, the writers' minds and personalities were involved, were they not? Sure. I mean, if you look at the writings of Peter, John, Paul, they're each different in their styles. Their personality comes out. But it all comes from God. And that is the point that Peter is making. The Scripture's origin is God. So therefore... They are trustworthy. They are true because God cannot lie, right? If the origin is God, He is the source, then Scriptures don't lie because God cannot lie. Titus 1, 2. Hebrews 6 and verse 18 says that very thing. And so Christians ought to be looking foremost to the Word of God for answers to their problems rather than running to professionals and receiving worldly wisdom. Now, again, I'm not talking about something that's physical or organic to the body. We all have to go to the doctor. <laughs> sure. Sometimes we have to take prescriptions for our ailments. But think for a moment about the men of the Bible. Thinking about Moses. Thinking about Joseph. How about David? Job, Paul, 
the apostles, all the weighty issues that they faced on a day-by-day basis. In fact, some of them you and I will never face. Where their minds were impacted, where their emotions were going in all sorts of different directions, maybe impacting them physically. You can go to the Scriptures, you can see that, especially in the Psalms. So what about them? What did they do? They turned to the Scriptures and found comfort and direction for their souls. Particularly the Old Testament Scriptures. Listen to these words from Psalm 119, 92 and 93. I love this. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. Yeah. So may God help you, help me, to fear Him. How do we fear Him? By embracing His teaching. By following His principles, His commands. By resting in His promises. It's the very Word of God that reaches us and changes us from the inside out and deals with all that we are going through in our lives. The Word of God has something to say on it all the time. So why do we turn to anything else? Beloved, when we are living by the book, that's real faith. That is real faith. Anything else isn't. The scriptures are to be trusted because they are inspired. Breathed out by God. That's their origin. That's the source. We must begin right there. Well, this brings us to another reason for depending on the Bible. Take you back to the beginning of verse 19. It says there, So we have the prophetic word made more sure. Let me just say something here. There's a better translation that really follows the Greek word order here. And it's this, And we have the more sure Prophetic word. That makes a difference, doesn't it? And we have the more sure prophetic word. The KJV translates it that way. The ESV translates it that way. That is the right way it should be translated. And so what do we have here? The scriptures are to be trusted because they are infallible. They are infallible. As Peter declared... The prophetic word is more sure. (laughs) More sure. That is more firm, more certain, more secure than anything else. It will not fail because God is its author. Inspired by Him. Just what we talked about a few minutes ago. You see, the word of God is infallible because it's inspired. (laughs) What you have here at the beginning of verse 19 is a transition from Peter's personal eyewitness experience of the power and coming of the Lord to the objective truth about it. 
It's though the apostle was saying here, if you don't believe my testimony or that of James and John who were there with me, we're talking about three witnesses. Well, there is one testimony that you can't deny and it's absolutely trustworthy because it comes from God himself and that is the prophetic word. You know, the Old Testament scriptures spoke often to the coming power of the Lord. Does it not? Sure. Both his first and second coming. It speaks to it all the time. But also, the transfiguration, which Peter referenced here regarding the coming glory, is also recorded where? (laughs) In the scriptures. In the Gospels. And so the point that needs to be emphasized here is this. Because God's word is infallible, it should be trusted above any experience. That's what Peter was saying. Yes, I had this experience. So did James and John. We were there. But if you weren't there, that's okay. Guess what we have? The more sure prophetic word. That's all that matters. Everything is recorded there. And yet today, there are so many Christians who lean heavily, and I mean heavily, on their own thinking. Their own ideas, their own experience for what they believe and what they are going to do. Often to the point where they are confused. They have fears, they have doubts. And so this is so unfortunate. And certainly it's not God's will for you. As a pastor, I'm concerned when I find God's people turning to worldly wisdom when the Bible has something to say on it. It grieves my own heart. Because I know that they are going to be confused. Because God's word says this. And yet they're doing this. Listen to these familiar words from Scripture. These are words you already know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I would imagine that the Iwana children who are sitting here could quote it to their parents. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your ways, your paths. How about Proverbs 28, 26? Whoso trusts in his heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely shall be delivered. What is walking wisely? It's walking by the precepts of God's word. Proverbs 30 and verse 6. What is the heart? The heart is the mind. When you see the word heart in scripture, it is predominantly referring to the mind, which impacts How you think and how you feel and ultimately how you act. Biblical counseling used to be called nuthetic counseling. Why? Because that word nuos refers to the mind. What do we do in biblical counseling? We bring the word of God to bear on the mind. So that you think differently. And it packs how you feel and how you act. And besides, what does Hebrews 4.12 say? 
The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It can go where nothing else can. So why are we going everywhere else except the word of God? It's sad to see. And I've seen it, especially over the last two or three months. And in the 18 years I've been here, I've seen it over and over and over again. And I beg with God's people, please, don't go down that route. Don't go there. That's worldly wisdom. This is the wisdom of God's word. We can't go wrong. Never. So may God enable you to trust his infallible word more than anything else. The scriptures are to be trusted because they are inspired and they are infallible. Well, to one other reason, which Peter highlighted there in the rest of verse 19. What does he go on to say? To which, and he's referring there back to the prophetic word, more sure. To which you do well to pay attention or to give heed as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. What was he saying? The scriptures are to be trusted, heeded, because they are illuminating. They are illuminating. As you can see, the prophetic word is compared to a lamp or a lantern, which gives light in a dark, dismal place. And once again, this is because God is the author, who is what? Light. What does 1 John 1, 5 say? God is light, and in Him is no darkness whatsoever. God is light. And the dark place where God's people need this light is in this fallen world. We do. How many of you have been in some caves or caverns? Probably just about every one of you have. You know what it's like. Back when my wife and I were first married, we went to the Lewis and Clark Caverns in Montana. I can remember getting down into this room where they had all these stalactites and stalagmites, you know, there. He starts to tell us about some men who were working in that room when the generators went out. Now, they had some flashlights on their helmet, but eventually they went out. And they were in that room for a couple days before they were found. So he says, I want you just to experience that for a moment. <laughs> so, turns off the light. Oh my. I mean, you could feel the darkness. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. The children in the room started to whimper. The parents were saying, oh my. And then he turned on the lights and we go, oh, it's like a, a sigh of relief that the lights came on. Well, in a similar way, The light of God's word is needed. Again, Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then he goes on in verse 130 to say this. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It's illuminating. And then beyond this, all believers have what? The illumination of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit 
in your hearts, which helps you to understand and apply the scriptures. Again, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 14. Listen to these words. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, an unsaved man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This passage right here was very near and dear to me when I was first saved because that's who I was before being saved. I couldn't understand God's Word, and I didn't care to know. It was foolishness. But then when I got saved... The lights turned on and I could see things I'd never saw before. And I asked myself, how come? I don't understand. (laughs) It's because I had the Spirit of God. Who's given the Word of God. And He helps me to see what I need to see. What a blessing that is. What a blessing. And so, don't turn off God's Word or His Spirit, so to speak. We do it. You know how we do it? By not being in the Word. Going our own way. And then we wonder why sometimes we're off track. Now, beloved, I'm going to say this. All of what I'm saying to you is temporary. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, the prophetic lamp of God's Word is one day going to be replaced by the blazing glory of Christ's second coming. And this is to what the apostle was metaphorically speaking at the end of verse 19, where it says this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. He's going back to just saying in a different way what he had already said in verse 16 about the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ's coming, the eternal revelation of His person, will fulfill what has been stated in His Word. Everything that's been stated about Christ and His will is all going to come to fruition when Christ comes. And we're going to be changed to be like Him. We will have His righteousness. What a glorious day. But until then... May God help you to meditate upon the illuminating precepts of God's Word for wisdom, guidance, and discernment. In fact, this is how Peter closes this epistle. Did you know that? Go with me to chapter 3, the first seven verses. He references the Word of God right away and says this, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand, the prophetic word by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? 
For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Just because he hasn't come yet doesn't mean he's not. (laughs) God's word says he is. And so he will. (laughs) He went on to say, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The word of God affirms all of that. You know, beloved, the sufficiency of scripture is such an important and fundamental doctrine to embrace. And here in Second Peter 1, the apostle gave us Just a few solid reasons why this is so. It's inspired. It's infallible. And it is illuminating. And so the man of God, the woman of God, who trusts and takes heed to the scriptures will be firm. And they will walk straight as described in Psalm 1. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 1 as we... Close this morning. Psalm 1. You know this psalm. Psalm 1. Just the first three verses. How blessed. That should get your attention right there. (laughs) How blessed is the man who does not walk, where? In the counsel of the wicked. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, And in whatever he does, he prospers. You could read right along with that, Joshua 1 and verse 8. Beloved, verse 3, I believe, is where you want to be. It's where I want to be. Amen? Like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. But I will tell you, it will not happen if you integrate yourself with worldly wisdom. It won't happen. You'll go down the wrong path. The path that is described in verse 1, where it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So often God's people do. May God help you this morning to see the seriousness of the sufficiency of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And what a blessing it is just to think about this. And so... Every once in a while, God, we need to take time out to think through this because we forget. Just as Peter said in this portion of Scripture that he had to remind God's people of truths because we so easily forget. We get distracted and we go down the wrong way. So God, may you use the the truth about your word this morning to inspire our hearts, O God. And lead us to follow the scriptures, to turn there 
Because indeed, they are inspired. They are infallible. They are illuminating. We have everything we need for life and godliness through your word. And so we may, may we take heed to it. In Jesus' name, amen.